0: Hi, folks. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this segment of the show featuring 1989 Open champion Mark Kalkavecchia. Mark's a wonderful friend of the show. He's a great follow on Twitter at Mark Kalk. His wife, Brenda, also a wonderful follow on Twitter at Brenda Kalk. Take a listen to this segment. I hope you really enjoy it. And make sure you tune in every week. Tuesday nights, we record the show. It's available for you as a podcast on Wednesday, anywhere you get your podcasting content. We're out there on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and our friends over at Good Pods, and I thank them so very much. They've been very good to me in the show. they featured us several times. Download the app. You can find all of your favorite podcasts available over there on Good Pods. Thanks for tuning in and being the greatest listeners in podcasting. I want to start things off by reminding you about the Macklemore. It's a private resort located just south of Chattanooga, Lookout Mountain, Georgia. It's a casual two-hour drive from Atlanta and Nashville and Birmingham. The existing Highlands course is now ranked in the top 100 courses you can play in the United States by Golf Digest. The 18th hole is ranked in the top 10 finishing holes in the world. A second course, the Outpost, is now under construction and will open summer of 2024. That Outpost is another Bill Bergen, Reese Jones design and features a mile and a half of dramatic cliff edge which every inch of that cliff edge is filled up with a golf hole. They've got a world-class hotel, Cloudland Lookout Mountain Curio Collection by Hilton, will open spring of 2024. Both have incredible views into historic McLemore Cove, 1,200 feet below. You gotta see it to believe it, folks. Stay, dine, and play golf above the clouds at McLemore. Go online to Macklemore.com to book your stay-and-play package today. And let's talk about grips, folks. I want to remind you about our friends over at Lampkin Grips because every shot has its own unique feel. The trick, feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Let's talk about our connection to the club, folks, and let's talk about our friends over at Lampkin Grips because every shot has its own unique feel. The trick, feel comfortable with each one. And comfort is built into the very DNA of Sonar Plus Black Grips. Composed of their Genesis material that provides supreme comfort and durability, while their fingerprint technology creates a strong connection and unforgettable touch. The game changes from shot to shot. The feel in your hand shouldn't, though. Lampkin. Feel is everything. I also want to remind you about the all-new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade. If there's one thing we know golfers want from a driver, it's distance. But there's actually two things we all want distance, and let's not forget, forgiveness. That's why TaylorMade designed the Stealth 2 driver with even more carbon for even more forgiveness. To learn more about the new Stealth 2 driver from TaylorMade, visit TaylorMadeGolf.com. Okay, now and next on the tee with me is 1989 Open champion Mark And Let me remind you about Mark's background. He's from Laurel, Nebraska. His family moved to West Palm Beach, Florida when he was 13. He won the Florida High School Golf Championship in 1977, played his college golf at the University of Florida from 1978 to 1980, and was named All-SEC in 1979. That season, Mark won the Furman Invitational. He turned pro in 1981, got his first win on the PGA Tour at the 1986 Southwest Golf Classic. Mark has one of the lowest scoring rounds to par in PGA Tour history. He finished 28-under, a four round total of 256 at the 2001 Waste Management Open, which featured a second round 60. At the 2009 Canadian Open, Mark set the record by making nine consecutive birdies during his second round. In all, Mark has won 13 times on the PGA Tour, including that 89 Open Championship at Royal Troon in a playoff over Greg Norman and Wayne Grady. He's won four times on the Champions Tour. Over the course of his career, he has 193 top 10 finishes, 351 top 25s, and he's a great follow-out on Twitter, at Mark Kalk. and I'm thrilled he is back with me again tonight here on Next on the T. Hey, Mark, thanks for coming back on the show.
1: Hey, Chris, thanks for having me. Always, uh, Always good to be on the show.
0: I appreciate you. So, Mark, since we last spoke, you had both knees replaced, and you were telling me You actually went out and played nine holes a few days ago, which is
1: fantastic news. How are you feeling? I I did. Yeah. I had my left knee uh, done in November, uh, November 1st and my right one uh, at the end of January. So that's been 10 weeks on my right one, but uh, they're, they're, they're feeling pretty good. Uh, You know, they get stiff and whatnot still, but uh, it doesn't hurt to, uh, uh, to hit the golf ball, which is good. Uh, uh, I'm starting to walk further and further each day. So I'm just, uh, now trying to build up strength in my, uh, in my thighs and my calves and whatnot. Uh, so other than that, uh, I hope to, uh, get back out and start playing again on the champions tour in a few months.
0: Yeah. Are you still looking to get out there this summer? When do you think that might be?
1: Yeah. I'm shooting for, uh, the principal charity classic in Des Moines, which is one of the tournaments, uh, that I've won on, on the champions tour. Uh, uh, I love Des Moines. It's a it's a great Midwestern city. It's only about four hours from Laurel, where I grew up, so it uh, reminds me a lot of home. Uh, and just uh, uh, the golf course is a little quirky. It's kind of old school and kind of hilly and a little bit goofy, but uh, it seems to suit me. It's uh, it's actually uh, uh, I've had a lot of good events there, uh, plus the wind, So that's uh, that's that's what I'm shooting for the first week of gym.
0: Mark, switching gears a little bit, I want to talk about the Masters. Your wife, Brenda, actually posted an article about something I had no idea that you started. And that's the tradition of skipping the ball across the pond on 16. She said you actually got reprimanded a little bit for doing that. What's that story?
1: Well, I actually, my buddy Ken Green took most of the heat because, you know, he he was easier to yell at than me. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, when, when Ken and I started hanging out in the early 80s on the PGA Tour, uh, You know, we, we, we did a lot of weird things, uh, you you know, hitting skip shots or, uh, or, or ricochet shots or, or, you know, trying to chip it in the sink in the hotel room and, and just all (laughs) all kinds of weird stuff. So, of course, uh, we're, we're playing a practice round. My first master's was in 87. His was in 86. He was actually leading the first round, uh, that year. But anyway, so we get to hit 16 and he says, Chuck, let's, let's hit a skip shot. I'll bet you, a beer or whatever, uh, I can get on the green and, you know, whoever hits the green gets a beer. I said, okay. So we gave it a shot and I, I think we hit a couple of them. Uh, and didn't think too much about it. It was fun. The crowd liked it. And then, uh, that was on Monday. We got to the course Tuesday morning for a practice round and Ken had a letter in his locker from Horde Hart. Uh, it said, uh, uh, Ken, uh, we don't do that here at Augusta national. Uh, and that was pretty much it. So of course, 16 holes later, 15 holes later, we get out there and we're like, uh, well, what do you think? I said, heck yeah, we got to give it another shot. And, uh, anyway, uh, we did, of course we did it again Wednesday and uh, everybody started following suit after that. So yeah, we, we were the inventors in 87. (laughs) Wow. So how did, how did it all come about where everybody else started following suit?
0: Did you guys talk about it and tell the story about the letter and and did you? Did they say anything else the
1: second or third day when you kept doing it? Yeah, I think all of the above. I you know, I think the guys playing behind us saw us do it. Uh guys walking down the hill on six sauce doing it, and the crowd was kinda getting into it. And uh I think it just kinda kinda caught on as as time went on. And uh of course I think the the, the news got out that uh, Ken got a letter and everybody thought that was kind of funny and uh the fact that we kept doing it. Uh and then uh you know, after that, after that, I think that very next year, of course, we're out there doing it again, and and uh, noticed every single group was hitting skip shots. So that's uh, that was it. As a
0: major champion, do you still get invited to go back to the tournament and play in the par three?
1: You know, we can't play in the par three anymore. Uh, yeah, we still get invited to come back to the tournament as an honorary invitee, uh, but we're not allowed to. Uh, play uh, practice rounds or the par three anymore for years, you know, like the past amateur champions, like buddy Alexander and, and buddy Marucci and some of these guys that, I mean, they'd literally play 36 holes a day, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and play the par three. Uh, I don't know if they kind of overdid it in that sense, but, uh, as time went on, uh, I think, I think the last year and I, I actually played, uh, Craig Stadler played his last Masters when his son Kevin was in the Masters, and we were there that year and uh, uh, played a played a uh, played a practice round with those two guys. And uh, I think that was the last year, whatever year that was, that uh, they allowed you to play the par three and, uh, and play a practice round.
0: When you played in the par three, did you ever play really well and then accidentally, on purpose, hit one in the water, get yourself DQ'd because you didn't want to have to deal with the curse? No, actually
1: I completely choked and hit it in the water. <laughs> I I was in a playoff with Nick Price and uh and I just kinda fanned a wedge with the playoff was on uh started on number eight and I wanted that trophy pretty bad. And uh I just kinda whiffed a wedge right in the pond and, and that was it. So uh hit another one, hit it on the green, he hit it that in, in there pretty close and they just shook his hand and said, Congrats and walked walked back up the clubhouse. Didn't even walk down to the green. So yeah I was a little bit bummed out but I I was I was definitely trying to win that thing
0: as you mentioned 87 being your first masters you finished tied for 17th that year which is pretty solid for your first time at at a masters tournament what was that week like and did you pick anybody's brain to kind of learn about the course and where you needed to hit it and all that sort
1: of thing I'm pretty sure I played a practice round uh, Ken and I played with Ben Crenshaw and I can't remember who else but uh you know, Ben's certainly one that was, uh, that, that knew those greens, like the back of his hand. And he was, he was the guy that we kind of ask, uh, you know, where do you definitely not hit it? Uh, you know, if you can avoid it on, uh, on pretty much every hole, uh, to give yourself the best chance to, to two or make a par. So, uh, and th- no doubt that helped. And, uh, you know, and th- just the course was just, you know, it's the masters, it's Augusta national. And it, it was, obviously before they did all the renovations and made it longer and, and this and that. So it was kind of the way it always was. And, uh, you know, I really thought it was, uh, a, a really good course for me, even though I hit a fade, there's really only a couple of holes where it really helps to hit a, hit a, a hook off the tee and, uh, two and two and 10 are really those only two holes where you got to hook it.
0: So do you remember your first drive up Magnolia lane?
1: Actually I do. Um, uh, I do. I, I was, I was excited, but slightly underwhelmed. Uh, I, I just kind of thought, well, this is kind of cool. You can see the clubhouse up there and it's a bunch of magnolia trees and, you know, there are leaves and junk all over the ground. <laughs> it wasn't like they were <laughs> bloom or anything. I was like, okay, it's kind of a road with trees, but uh, yeah, no, it, 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 I do remember. It and it was, it was cool. Uh, and of course, you know, when you pull up the in front there and, and uh, you know your wife and your family and your caddy and your buddies and everybody else is piled in the car. There's about eight of you jammed in there, and uh, everybody pops out, and then uh, your your buddy, my caddy, you know, took the car down to player parking. So that was always kind of fun to uh, to get out right there in front.
0: You come back the next year in '88, and you're chasing eventual winner Sandy Lyle for four days. You're actually trailing him by five shots after the seventh hole on Sunday. Six holes later, you're leading by one. Things change pretty fast at Augusta National in a final round. What was it like?
1: What was that swing like for you? Yeah, they sure do change quick there. It was, uh, well, my motto always there, uh, and and over the years, people have seen the front nine. My my motto was always just get me to the eight, uh, to the eighth tee, the par five. If I can get there even par through the first seven, I'm I'm happy. You know, I'm, I'm thrilled about it because I knew I could play the last 11 holes. And, uh, that's kind of what I did on Sunday. And it was, it was a tough week weather-wise. It was, it was pretty windy. Uh, you know, the scores weren't low at all. Uh, I think Sandy finished at seven under and I was six under for the week. Uh, the greens were, I remember nine green on Friday was a combination of green and purple and yellow. I, I think like six guys, four putted the ninth green. Wow. So it was, it was pretty wicked conditions. Uh, but anyway, yeah, once I, uh, uh I think I buried eight and 10 and 13 or whatever. And, uh, all of a sudden I, 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 looked up and I was right there. I was tied for the leader one ahead. And then, then I, I, I I'm pretty sure I just parred the last five. I made a, a couple of decent par putts on, uh, like five footers on 16 and 17. And then, uh, The one shot I've always said in my career, I wish I could take back was the, uh, I hit a beautiful drive on 18 and I tried to smash a wedge. Uh, and I thought if I hit it absolutely perfect, it's going to be, it's going to be right on the number and I hit it really good, but not perfect. And it hit the false front and spun back. And I completely forgot about the, 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 uh, the back slope in the middle of the green, uh, you know, where I should have hit a nine iron and, and, and tried to at least get it up there and use the slope and have it come back. So I had a putt at it, but anyway, I hit a, I hit a great chip and, and tapped it in for par. and Then of course uh, the rest is history uh, with Sandy Lyle probably hitting the, the greatest fairway bunker shot uh, uh, right along with uh, Matt Fitzpatrick uh, last year at the country yeah. club hole to, to win a major, but uh, you know, Sandy hit a beauty and, and got it up there and it rolled back down the hill. And he, of course he poured the 10 footer right in the middle.
0: So I want to talk about a couple of the, the the shots you just made mention of because you had about a five or six footer for par on 15, you drained that putt and you walked off that green pretty demonstratively. I imagine (laughs) the adrenaline had to be pumping at that point when that putt curled in.
1: Oh yeah. Uh, you know, there's, there's, there's nothing like, uh, I mean, that was, that was, I mean, I was still young and I'd, I'd only won a couple of tournaments, uh, leading up to that, but I was, I was really playing well and I was pretty confident. And, uh, you know, just that, that whole scene there, when you're standing on top of the hill at 15 and you see all the people and the water and the green and 16 and whatnot, it's, uh, I, I remember in 2001, uh, when I was in the second to last group, uh, the year, one of the year Tigers won, Tiger won. John Wood was caddying for me. He does TV now. Of course he caddied for under my hand for years and, and, and coach and, and pretty much everybody he caddied for me for a few years and he just, he, he, he just said, look, look at this, would you, I mean, you, you know, it was just a, a view that you will never, I'll never forget. I just kind of took a picture of it in my head. Uh, uh, it was just, it was just cool. So, uh, yeah, that's, that's the spot you want to be. And, uh, you know, to, to make nice five footers for pars on 16 and 17, uh, it Was huge, and then uh, you know, then Sandy made made birdie in eighteen. But it was uh, it's it's my favorite tournament to watch all year. There's no question.
0: Your tee shot on sixteen was a little bit long and left. They had another tester for par there. You make that one, as you said. And rewatching that final round, I, I did that this morning, and I thought you know, when when that putt on fifteen and then the one on sixteen goes in, it just if I was in the moment and this and I didn't know what the outcome was, I would have thought you know, Mark's got this. I mean, everything is just sort of going his way. He's making the testers. Nothing seems to be bothering him. He's got a one stroke lead at when you walk off 16, going to 17. Do do you, did you allow yourself to get ahead to think, you know what? I, I think I got this one.
1: You know, Chris, I, I actually did. Uh, you know, I knew, uh, I I knew that, you know, I had 17 and 18 left and and hit a good drive on 17 and a nice, uh, not sure what it was probably a nine iron in there about 15 18 feet just long left of the hole the pin was kind of over on the front right or the right side and i knew it was fast and i literally just tapped this thing and and that one buzzed by about four or five feet as well and uh, i was thrilled to get that one back in the hole so uh you know and then of course 18 just sets up perfect for me off the tee and i just told myself to do what you've been doing and and I, I I blasted one right around the corner. It was it was perfect.
0: And you mentioned a moment ago your second shot, and you come up just a little bit short, and you hit a, a wonderful little chip shot. For a moment, it looked to me like that thing was going to curl in the hole too. You sort of tap your your heart a little bit. It, did you yeah. think that was going in, or, or were you were you relieved that it it stopped that close to the hole?
1: No, I was I was relieved I didn't have to make another tester <laughs> on the 18th green. I, <laughs> I knew I could make that six inches so. Uh, yeah, that was, that, that was a relief. Uh, you know, obviously at that time I knew where I stood and, uh, actually when I was playing 18, I was one ahead because Sandy was just on 16 and, uh, you know, he made that putt from off the back of the green there as well, going down the hill, uh, for birdie. So, uh, and then, and then by the time I got done, find my card, uh, they rushed me into the Butler cabin over there, just left a 10 T and said, Sandy just uh, hit his uh, tee shot on 18 in the fairway bunker fairly close to the lip. And uh, I sat down and I watched it, and I said, well, nobody in the world hits it higher than he does. And, you know, he was on a little upslope. I said, it's a tough shot, but I I was talking myself into it. I said, just don't worry. He's going to make a par. Don't think you're going to win this thing right now. Get, Get yourself psyched up for a playoff. And, uh, and then of course he hit the fairly bunker shot and he jumped out of there and his eyes were about as big as baseballs. And I knew, he, I knew he hit an amazing shot the second he hit it. Did you?
0: i when well, obviously, you know, the, the talk on the broadcast was, could he get it over the lip and, and all of that sort of thing. And then, and when he hit it, I, I, I didn't necessarily think that this ball was going to end up right near the hole. And, and obviously, like, like you say, the rest is history. And he did. Um, but I, I got to imagine you were thinking, we're going to be in a playoff here. There's nothing worse than a playoff. And then when he hit that shot, brutal.
1: Yeah. You know, and it, 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 it his ball actually stopped on the, on the, on the second tier there for about three seconds. Uh, and then it started trickling back down. It it, it could have stayed there, hit a ball mark or something. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to roll back down the hill. But, uh. Yeah, I once it started moving, then I I just I told everybody in Butler Cabin, no, he's he's going to make this. He's he's such a good putter, and uh, you know his putt, I've, I've watched it a hundred times at least. It kind of zigzagged its way down there. Kind kind of went a little little right, then kind of a little left, and then it zigzagged, and then it went a little right at the end, right in the middle. And I was like, uh eh. oh well, and you know, and then press. I remember being in the press room afterwards, and even though I was disappointed. Uh, I, what I said was, uh, I said, well, you know, obviously I'm disappointed, but you gotta guess Andy Lyle, 100% credit. He buried the last hole to win the masters. And, uh, I said, this is only my second masters. I'm going to have about 20 more chances to win this thing. And, uh, I said, I, I, I was pretty sure I'd get a green jacket one day. Of course I never did, but that was my attitude at the time that, uh, I just gave him full credit and was looking forward to coming back next year and hopefully winning it, uh, the next year.
0: We know you finished second, obviously, that year. But last week, we learned that you finished second again to some guy who's on the Today Show. You apparently lost in a playoff to that guy. I can't believe I've never heard about that. What's that story?
1: <laughs> that was funny. Uh, somebody sent that to me because I didn't see it live. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, what uh, uh, Carson Daly had a green jacket on, and he had like some sort of like fake-looking master patch on. And, and Hoda and Samano were giving them grief and they're like, what do you what do you win the Masters or something? He goes, Yeah, matter of fact I did. I won the I won the nineteen eighty-eight Masters over Mark Kalkovecchi in a playoff. And Craig <laughs> Tra- Melvin starts laughing, laugh, he goes, have we pulled that one out of the out of the archives. So <laughs> I, I thought it was hysterical. So What's I hysterical? thought oh, my week's made. I, I I got a shout out on the Today Show for losing in a playoff.
0: <laughs> yeah i thought funny. that was funny and, that was um i want to get your thoughts you mentioned the O one one chance you know 13 years later you, you get yourself right back in the mix and the final round actually birdied number one tiger yep. bogeyed so it was you tiger and phil tied at that point david devall would would get in the mix in the back nine but what do you remember about having a second
1: opportunity to win it uh i that was probably the worst thing that happened to me was birdie and one, cuz all of a sudden i realized i was tied for the lead in the masters and uh i really didn't do much anything the rest of the day i i played average at best and didn't make any pots i think i shot 72 but it was a perfect day there was hardly any wind so the course the course was there for the uh, for the taking but uh yeah it was uh i just kind of got got ahead of myself a little bit i'll admit and got a little bit nervous uh you know obviously it happens it's it, it happens all the time uh in big tournaments and uh that's kind of what happened to me in '01. one
0: so i want to get your thoughts on this year's tournament brooks kepka was you know critical of play it seemed like on the uh, on uh, sunday in the in the final group he was talking about how He and John Rahm seemed to wait on every shot and they blamed it on the group in front of them, which was Victor Hovland and Patrick Cantlay. And even Hovland's patience seemed to to wear out. There are several shots of him playing ahead of Cantlay, walking ahead of him and all that sort of stuff. I I think trying to give him a message that we need to pick it up here. I think there was about a hole and a half between uh, the group in front of them. Talk about, you know, in a major tournament like that, how much does slow play and getting on your nerves play into your ability to play well and stay focused?
1: I think in this case it, it really hurt Brooks um, because he is a fast player, and it, it it was it was slow. I mean, it took like four hours and forty minutes to play the last round in twosomes. You know, I know it was a, it was a tough day. There was some wind out there, and guys guys were struggling in spots. But you know, Phil shot seven under, Spieth six under. I mean, there were good rounds. Um, but yeah, Patrick can't lay slow, but, uh, I saw a scanned across the golf channel the day and he was being interviewed over in Hilton head and said, you know, we fell behind a little bit, but then we, we waited on our second shots in 15 and we waited on our second shots on 18. So at the end of the day, you know, they, they didn't finish behind, but it, it is frustrating when you're, uh, you're anxious, number one, and, and you're ready to pull the trigger. And you're looking at the guy standing out there for two or three minutes, trying to figure out what club to hit. And, uh, uh, it, it, it's it's hard, and I I, I do think that bothered uh, bothered Brooks quite a bit.
0: Did you ever, uh, without naming names, if you don't want to, I mean, did you ever have to deal with guys in front of you slow play? You know, start to think about, hey, where's where's a tournament official? Where's where's somebody that can get in these guys' ear to to pick this up because. It looks like we're headed for a five or six hour round here.
1: Yeah, it's it's definitely bothered me at times uh, throughout my career. There's no doubt being that, that I'm a very fast player, uh, but you know, as, as as time has gone on, you know, I realized there's there's really nothing you can do about it. That the, the the tour officials haven't done anything about it by now, uh, by you know, slapping two shot penalties on guys for. For taking two or three minutes out there to hit a, and, and Spieth took three three minutes to hit a shot the other day. I couldn't believe it. Uh, you know, some guys just they won't pull the trigger until they're a hundred percent ready what they're doing, and uh, it's it's just kind of a, a lingering chain effect. Uh, and it and it is it, it it's hard on the faster players, but uh, also I think everybody's come to realize that's just the way it is, and you might as well just not worry about it.
0: So. That stuff aside, what would you think about what you saw from John Rahm over the last you know thirty so or so holes on uh, on Sunday?
1: I, I thought going into Sunday for sure that Brooks would win uh, based on the way he played, even the the the, the seven holes in the horrible weather on Sunday uh, or Saturday morning rather uh, before it got canceled. Uh, but then I also realized that uh, once. You know, he missed his putt when they came back and resumed Sunday morning and Rom made his the four shot lead was down to two. You know, but then Brooks kinda hung in there. He was always kept his two or three shot lead the whole day and, and you know, had a two shot lead going into the last round. But uh that three wood that he hit out in the middle of the ninth fairway on, on one was, was shocking. Uh and it didn't hit a tree to get over there. It just it just took off over there. Uh, it was just dead left. And I thought, Oh no, that's not, that's not a good sign, even though he made a par and, you know, and actually Rom made a, a a slippery little 10 footer there for par, uh, to stay two back. So, uh, and then Rom made that downhill, uh, left to writer, slippery putt on three for birdie to get with one and one. And I knew at that point it was going to, it was, you know, Kepka wasn't going to win by many if he did win. And, uh, as, as the round went on, it just looked like he was a little bit uneasy, and uh, it just never looked like Rom was going uh, to was going to falter, especially on the back nine. Uh, you know, I just didn't think John was going to uh, make any bogeys, and he did And he played great.
0: Mark the live players seemed to be welcomed back nicely. Phil got lots of cheers. Brooks and Rory talked in their press conferences earlier in the week about seeing each other frequently. They practiced down in the same area there in Jupiter. Could the whole notion of a rift between the players be, as some guy said, all media-driven? Because things seemed to go just fine.
1: No, I, I knew, I knew things would go over uh, very smoothly. You know, and evidently Phil didn't say hardly anything at the past champions' dinner, and and, and a few guys might have been a little more quiet than usual. Uh, I also noticed uh, Phil got zero TV coverage the first two rounds, even though he was four under par, Uh, you know, they never mentioned Patrick Reed uh, until they had to. So it was, it was a little weird, but as far as the, uh, the guys getting along and mingling, I mean, no, I I wasn't worried about anything going, going on there at all. You know, they, uh, and I have no problem with those guys playing on the Live tour and, and uh taking the taking the money and and i think guys in the pga tour are happy happy they're still there uh so what it didn't surprise me at all that everything went went really smoothly
0: mark uh before i let you go you've uh done such a great job over the years of you know being one one of the fan favorites out on both the regular tour and then out on the champions tour um just as as you wind down your playing career, how much longer do you want to play, and and how much have the fans buoyed you over the years?
1: <laughs> I got a few boos here and there. Not oh. buoy.
0: I mean, like, like <laughs> buoy hasn't raised you up or made you feel oh.
1: <laughs> made you think, feel good about you. Well, I did get a few boos too, but uh, no, the the fans have always been great to me. Uh, you know, there were times that I acted like an idiot, and I, I realized that, and I shouldn't have, but. Obviously, as I've gotten older and mellowed and uh, really enjoyed playing on the Champions Tour. uh, You know, I hope to play a couple more years. Um, My knees are getting healthy. My back feels good. So hopefully uh, uh, I can kind of get back into contention and have a chance to win another tournament out on the Champions Tour. But I've also noticed without, you know, I've only played nine holes in seven months. uh, The longer you go without playing, the harder it is to come back. Uh, and you know, I've had a few days where I, I could have sworn I wasn't good go to the course, and, and, and said, I said, ah, screw it. I'm going to watch Netflix or something, you know, so, <laughs> <laughs> but no, I've always appreciated the fans and, uh, uh, a lot of nice things that people say about me on Twitter and on social media. So it's, it's, it's greatly appreciated.
0: Mark, before I let you go, remind our listeners again, how they can stay up to date with you, all the great things you're doing and look forward to you being back out on the champions tour, hopefully later this summer.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm, uh, I'm on Twitter. Uh, Mark Kalk at Mark Kalk, and, uh, and my even funnier half, Brenda, my wife, uh, is at Brenda Kalk. Uh, she's on Twitter as well. So, uh, give us a shout.
0: Mark, I appreciate you very much, my friend. Thank you for coming back and being a part of the show again tonight. Look forward to catching up with you and Brenda again a little bit later on this summer.
1: As always, Chris. You got it. Thanks for having me. Take care, Mark. So.
0: That is the great Mark Kalkovecchia, folks, and a, a wonderful player, obviously. You, you don't win majors and get in contention in majors without being a wonderful player. But uh, one of the things that uh, I appreciate most about Mark is just what a great guy he is. I've enjoyed every moment that I've had him as part of the show. Tonight was the sixth time, already looking forward to the seventh. And like he mentioned, his wife Brenda is a scream. She's hilarious. Uh, I had the privilege of having her on the show late last summer, and I look forward to getting that opportunity again, I hope, real soon.